We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Uh, today we're actually going to be talking, you know, not a lot going on in the basketball world, but they just debuted on ESPN the first two parts of the 10-part series, The Last Dance, on the Bulls' 1997-98 season, which is the last of their six championships in the 90s. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, Darius and I are both of an old enough age to remember Michael Jordan very clearly. He dominated our middle school and high school years uh, when, when we were probably at some of our highest, uh, you know, most frequently playing pickup ball, basketball dominated more hours of our lives. I think in, at least in on court type ways and in, in certain elements of being involved in the game, probably then than at any other point, or at least in, in my case. Um, and uh, so a couple of Laker fans pointed this out. Unwritten Rules, uh, who's a great Twitter follow if you if you don't follow him, um, pointed out, he's like, oh, I wish I was old enough to have really experienced Jordan. And he asked a question like, what stands out to you about about what Jordan was like? And I was like, oh, damn, like, it makes sense. Though. Like, Jordan retired, like, Bulls Jordan, not Wizards Jordan. 22 years ago, man, like he played his last important game like 22 years ago. So you can be 30 and not really have that many memories of Michael Jordan, like maybe hazy little kid ones. Right. Um, But uh, so, yeah, I thought I thought that it would be fun uh, to spend a little time talking about Jordan as a couple of guys who remember him. Now, to answer uh, Unwritten Rules's question, the thing that I remember from watching him was how mentally dominant he was like he had half the league shook man like they were people were terrified of michael jordan especially by you know older ages what what stands out to you uh when you think back on on mj a lot of what i remember about him is sort of a lot of the same stuff we talked about with kobe honestly but just mm-hmm. um that original prototype type of right. like Right. So just the 
the uber competitiveness, um, the the focus that he played with, like on mm-hmm. the court, which which I think sort of ties in to what you were talking about in terms of being sort sort of this mentally um, dominant player. Yeah, if, that's like the how, right? Like you is by being more focused than the guy across from you. That's part of how you can be more mentally dominant than another guy. Yeah, there's always that famous line, right? And it actually got uttered to in this episode by, or in one of the episodes today by, I think it was Ahmad Rashad that he said that, you you know, Jordan played every game like like it was his last. And he sort of always used this, this idea that there was someone that was going to be in the crowd that night that had never seen him play. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that person he was going to give it his all mm-hmm. sort of thing, right? And and that competitiveness that Jordan had um, did sort of strike fear in opponents. It, it struck fear in fans. Um, and there was this, there was this inevitableness to him, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like before Thanos. Thanos, yeah. 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 Yeah, before Thanos, there was Michael Jordan sort yeah. sort of thing, and, and um, in the lead up to the debut that happened um, today, the day that we're recording this, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, and a lot of folks have been ramping up their coverage about this, right? And, and Zach Lowe had said something on his podcast, well, recently, where where he had basically just said that Jordan really did seem invincible. That mm-hmm. th- that there was this sense that he was just going to find a way to win, and um, by the time this ninety seven ninety eight season came came around, that's definitely how it felt. Um, mm-hmm. It it was so much easier to find flaws in his opponents as to why they wouldn't win, mm-hmm. rather than trying to find a reason why Michael Jordan would lose. Sure. Right, absolutely. Like, that there was really. Um, sort of a mythology, but it was built on results that we had seen with our own eyes, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's us as fans who, like you said, are of an age to remember this stuff. Like for fans who are too young, there is this now sort sort of myth and legend that's sort of built off of the record books and the mm-hmm. results, right? And and, and um, word of mouth of legend, right? Like mm-hmm. like the way we talk about the Greek gods, but, but you and I saw this guy. We... Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was not lucky enough to see him play in person when he was still a bull, but I was lucky enough to see him in person on his sort of comeback tour with the Wizards. Mm-hmm. And, and even then, there was this aura and this air about him, right? Just the way that he carried himself, and that's from the nosebleed section of an arena, Right. Like imagine being on the court with him um, as a competitor mm-hmm. and and it's it's that sort of stuff that that sort of sticks with me as as a fan, like two, well, two decades later. Right. Yeah, that that's the that's what makes this season being the one that's covered particularly interesting is because Jordan in 98, he had slipped a little bit. He was like a half step behind what he he was at his peak or even the year before um which was still probably the best player in the league almost certainly the best player in the league at the time but it wasn't as wide of a discrepancy as it had been for most of his career and so that season was one where i particularly think that his mental dominance and his ability to uh like psych teams out and make them believe that like yes, I am inevitable. And yes, this is going to go exactly the way that you know that it's going to go. Even when his game, like he was still the best player in the game, but he was not invincible at that point. His game was not invincible. Um, And and he had a couple of rough games in the finals that year too, right? That was not a, a, as, as dominant of a performance as a player, but just the, the force of will. um, You can really see how he, he left an imprint on Kobe and that's something that when, when Kobe came into the league, 
he like one of the criticisms of him is he's like kind of like this swagger jacker right like he's totally just trying to copy michael jordan and his whole persona and affect uh what do you remember kind of how you perceived kobe early on in relation to jordan and those criticisms I So early on, his first couple of years when Jordan was still in the league, that wasn't necessarily something that I was fully on board with. It, it, it actually wasn't more until like the 99 and 2000, like when he was being coached by Phil Jackson and Tex Winter and the places where he was catching the ball – and the moves that he was executing within the construct of the same offense that Michael Jordan had mastered, that's where, to me, it started to become more of a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, th- th- those first couple of years of of Kobe, it, to, to me, at least, it was more of, like, the audacity of this kid, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and and the stuff that he would try... And the stuff that he would succeed at and the fact that he had come basic, well, straight out of high school and was so young, right? Mm -hmm. And and so all of those sort sort of things left a bigger imprint on me than this idea that he was some master mimic Mm -hmm. of, of Michael Jordan, right? Like that, that to me didn't come more until like... 2001 2002 like like right in the middle of that three-peat hmm. where I was just like oh like there was definitely the 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 polish that he sort of tried to carry himself with there that's where I saw it more than like the on-court game stuff mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. because for me it was more the Jordan that was there at that point Kobe was so much more of like this just athletically dominant player, right? Like you had mentioned Mm. that I'm saying when they overlapped in the league together. Oh, right, right. Right. When when MJ was old, gotcha. Yes, and and so much like the way that Kobe evolved over the course of his career, Jordan did too, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, very much so. and, And he ultimately became... A back to the basket player, like he almost became a guard version of Kareem mm-hmm. to a certain extent, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like I would, I would venture to guess that like thirty to forty percent of his shots were turnaround jumpers, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you know, like ninety-five percent of Kareem shots were sky hooks, but but like aesthetically, Jordan was a back to the basket player. He was a post-up player. He basically played the Shaq role in. In the triangle, the whole offense and movement flowed to get Jordan a post touch, either, either weak side where he could play in two man game, or strong side where players would cut off of him, and then with the artificial spacing of '90s defense, mm-hmm. they would flow to the corner and then above the three point arc, and then he would have post post isolations, and, and that was just how the game was played back right. then. Um, and and Jordan was not a turn and face player as mm-hmm. a post player. He was a uh, back you down. He'd do that famous sort of arch your back fit mm-hmm. move that he did to, to sort of get uh, defenders with the hand check off of his hip a little bit. And then he would go into his move and, and just shoot that sweet turnaround mm-hmm. jumper. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like it was just the sweetest thing ever. Like before there was a, co- like before we all sort of shot, um, crumpled up paper uh-huh. and yelled Kobe. Oh, we said Jordan. Yep, yeah. Yeah. We'd right? fade away and say Jordan. Yep. It, w- yep. it was all MJ. Right. Uh-huh. So, so that period of, of our lives, it was just dominated by this dude who was just better. Right. And, yeah, and yeah. so when Kobe came into, to the league, it was not so much, Oh, he is, he is trying to replicate Jordan. It was more like, oh, this dude, he's just doing some cr- some crazy stuff, right? But when he started to play in the triangle, that's when it was like more for me, like, oh, okay. But to me, I was just like, this makes sense. He plays mm-hmm. the same position as this dude. Why not? Like, well, yeah, if hey- you want to be the best, Kobe always just wanted to be the best version of himself that he could be. And if you're 
a six foot six, two hundred pound guard or wing, like you'd be an idiot not to <laughs> like borrow very heavily from Michael Jordan, right? So that was and and that was both in his in his uh, swagger, but also in his attraction to the the minutia of the game, to the footwork, to all of the little details. Well, even just like you said, like the swagger and like his mannerisms, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so the thing the thing about Jordan that stood out to me at least was and I think that this speaks to like the mental dominance thing that you touched on earlier. The way that he walked, the way that he glared, mm-hmm. the way that he chomped his gum, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. These are all like little things but they were and they were natural to Jordan, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was just who who he was. Kobe did start to take on some of those mannerisms as well, because I honestly think that those tie in to a certain extent, the intimidation that Jordan used on the court to sort of create that persona that he was not going to lose. So so Kobe didn't get there until he really mastered the technical aspects of the game right like he had it in for his age for sure but he had a ways to go in terms of development of footwork of triple threat moves of his jumper he there's a a one point of even later in his career when he switched he used to be uh, an index finger shooter where the ball would come off of his index finger last and i believe it was chuck person the old indiana pacers uh you know uh, the rifleman, the yeah. shooter from the Pacers, and then who's the Lakers assistant, got him to uh, have it come off of his middle. Um, when Kobe, it, there's a certain confidence that's that's earned, right? Like when you're really good at doing something that no matter how hard you try when you're younger, if you don't have the mastery of that, you cannot emulate that type of confidence without without it and so kobe became mentally dominant not as a young player and he had great games but he became intimidating and beating guys in that same way as jordan as he got a little older and i would argue one of the great shames of kobe's career is that what i think his peak was lined up exactly with the worst teams that he had in terms of surrounding talent i would have loved to see like 2005 to 2007 kobe with a championship caliber supporting cast. Cause I think there's an argument to be made that that is when Kobe, when like Kobe's physical talents and his experience and skill development all kind of met in the same place, a, a player's, you know, proverbial yeah. prime. Um, and, and so I really think that that's when that happened for Kobe. They were just the worst teams, but that's when he started to exert his will mentally over opponents. I, I really don't think it happened in that first three. Well, it's very interesting, right? Because, Kobe's that run during 2005 through 2007 that was that was MJ so Kobe never got those early Bulls MJ years Mm -hmm. he never got those like the great that great performance that they highlighted in I think episode one where um Jordan scored 63 against the Celtics right Mm -hmm. in in a playoff game um Kobe never got that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like he never, he he never played for one of those sort of middling, sort of like eighth seed playoff teams mm-hmm. when he was a really young player, mm-hmm. right? Um, he just didn't get that chance. He got drafted to a team that had just signed Shaq. That team had right. won fifty games the season. They before. had goals. They had. They were trying yeah. to win the title. Like, yeah, they. They they instantly jumped into you should be um, a championship contender team. And that's why Kobe was able to walk into the NBA Finals at 21, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And turn a series in the Lakers' favor with Shaq on the bench because he fouled out and him coming off of a sprained ankle, right? Like... Um, he had a lot of experience and failures in those really high-end games, right? Those playoffs, the four air balls, but there was also like the next year in the second round or the conference finals, they lost to Utah. And they Kobe got swept. Was, yeah, Kobe was kind of a chucker in that series in, yeah. in a way that frustrated teammates and um, fans. Those, is, fans fans well. too. Fans too, man. Like, look. Absolutely. Like, there is, there is an, 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 
it's a smaller segment. Like I've been contributing to to a Lakers blog since 2008, man. So it's been a long time that I've been writing about the Lakers, <clears throat> and um and, and reading Lake really smart. Lakers coverage since like 2004 to well 2005 when when I first found Forum Blue and Gold just as a, just as a reader mm-hmm. right and <clears throat> there is a segment of fans who never sort of latched on to Kobe as their guy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like there like there just is he was he was always the guy who was a little bit too um little bit too much of a gunner a little bit not enough of a team player, a guy who was always a bit too quick to, to maybe say something that threw his teammates on what will under the bus. And for older Lakers fans, right? The ones who grew up on the Showtime Lakers, or even before that, who came up on the Jerry West Lakers, right? Mm -hmm. Those guys are all about team, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, and nothing was ever bigger than, than the team and this idea especially if you grew up on showtime or or showtime was the epitome of what you envisioned basketball should look like Mm -hmm. um there was this idea that you made your teammates better via the pass rather than via the shot and it was this collaborative uh collective effort and 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 it's funny because to bring this back to Michael Jordan a little bit, Jordan faced those same skeptics. Yes, he did. Very, yes, he did. Like at the early part part of his career, and then even when he was shown to be or or thought to be a guy who should be competing for championships, but couldn't get past like the the, the Pistons. Right, he had finally been able to to sort like the Celtics has, had sort of aged out. And then it was the Pistons' turn, and then it, there was this idea that Michael Jordan couldn't beat a team like the Pistons, who were a real team, right? Like, they were led by Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars, and they were depth, at, and Mark Aguirre, and John Sally, and Dennis Rodman, and Bill Lane Beer, right? And James Edwards, and Vinnie Johnson, and, and it went on and on and on, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this, this supremely deep team, and Michael Jordan was seen as the guy who was sort of this lone gunner, and... and and would he ever get out of his own way and trust his teammates? Right. In all order... this, like, it's all coded language too, right? Like that you do not play the style of basketball that I approve of. It's an individualism versus collectivism type of mentality. And so to bring that back to Kobe now, that 2005 through two, through 2007, remember some of the stuff that people were saying about him as well. He's not a leader. Mm-hmm. He got Shaq out of here. Mm-hmm. Right, like he he'll probably never win another championship. Darius, hold up. Let's play. Let's pay a couple bills. Uh, send it to break. We'll come back. Let's continue this. Yeah. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on, but you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. If you're missing the NFL, no problem. BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Alright, so before the break, you're saying, like, yes, Kobe is getting... Jordan got all of these criticisms in his early years as being... This gunner, this lone lone wolf, yeah. right? This guy who couldn't make his teammates better. And they're very similar to what Kobe faced down the line. Now, it, it has to be noted, and, and you did earlier, but I just want to emphasize this more. The circumstances of Jordan entering the league were this bad franchise that nobody went to their games. And, like, it's funny watching this because, like, some of it, I, I watch it and I'm like, yeah, that's that's about how I remember it, right? And some of it, I'm like, yeah, you're leaving some kind of context out here that makes Jordan look a little better, but you know, hey, it's it's his story to tell, I suppose. Uh, but anyway, um, the Bulls were bad. No one gave a crap about them. Uh, they they draft Jordan, and now like all of a sudden, yeah, it is kind of like, yo, the the Bulls are, are are pretty cool. 
And so, and then this, they start not only being attractive to fans, but he is like, he doesn't look like anybody else in the NBA. Yeah, that no, he, about Jordan, he is, right? he, he is taking over the league. Yeah. Right. Like, like not necessarily from a, from a wins standpoint right mm-hmm. because no, he it's got a drafted style in, of basketball yes yes it was it's a new era yes it was a new era look and this is why i love the nba man because all throughout the history of the league there are these rebirths of the league yes through yes through the charisma and playing characteristics of this new wave of stars Right. And at first it was Magic and Bird and then it was Michael Jordan. Right. And then then it was sort of the rebirth of the big man as well. Right. Mm -hmm. When like after Jordan retired, you got to see like Hakeem battle, you know, um, Patrick Ewing and Shaquille O'Neal. Right. And then in comes Kobe Bryant and Tim Duncan, right, and Kevin Garnett, mm-hmm. and it's now more like, almost like, like this skill ball with these big well, players. The, the league, it, that's, it's the wing era. That's, that's, Jordan started the wing era when one of the big things about those Bulls, it wasn't just unique to, uh, criticism to Jordan. It was like, yeah, Michael Jordan's great and all, but you can't win titles without a dominant center. Right, that was the thought. It was like it doesn't matter how good this guy is. No, if you look at the history, the quotes, of the league, right? Like in the like in the documentary, right. they were right. saying the quotes, right? And you had people basically saying, like, "Oh, you're not going to be like." They had Walt Frazier uh-huh. say, "You know, like he he's not going to be able feet. to do yeah. it by himself." Like he ain't seven feet. Uh-huh. They, they had that wild quote from Mark Eaton. Like, God. how are you going to quote Mark Eaton? It's bad, man. It, yeah. But. But that was the The logic. And Mm -hmm. look, man, Mm -hmm. like, and I get it, man. Like, personally, I get it because I still think to this day that the bigger you are, right, as long as you have a requisite level of skill, Mm -hmm. the bigger you are, the more advantage you're going to have. Like, that. I would just say that I would just say that that requisite level of skill is much higher now than it was when teams were built around seven footers. Yeah. Well, I mean, the rules of the game have changed, right? And yes. So that too, but yeah. And the illegal, we should talk about the illegal defense rule. And the, I, I think that that is probably the single most impactful rule on how the game is played. Let's talk about that on a, a podcast coming up. I, I'd like to, we to definitely sure. will, because to me, the shift in, you could talk about the hand check rule. You could talk about all of that. The biggest shift in the league is what has happened with the implementation of zone defense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and the and the elimination of the old illegal defense rule. And we will definitely nerd out to that on a future pod. It'll get fifteen listens, sure. and seven of them will be me, <laughs> and eight of them will be you. Right? I, but- I would love it. That's what, hey, that's us, man. That's us. It's it's always been us. Um, Yes. So, all right. So, well, let's let's roll with that then for for a minute. This was the first really wing built team to win a title, um, where they didn't have a dominant big on, on them as as well. The ninety one Bulls, that is, and that really kicked off an era. Right. It was you had the, the two year hiccup with the Rockets repeating, um, and then you get into you know you have the the Spurs win in ninety nine. But then you got the Lakers three-peat and you start more and more. It it It's a mix for a little while, right? Of big man centric teams versus wing teams. But that was the first wing team to do it. And then it's gotten progressively more. It's you got to have those dominant wings, got to have those dominant wings until whereas now, like when was the last title that was won by a team that didn't have a dominant wing? Like depends on what your opinion of 2014 Kawhi Leonard was. I would argue he was dominant by then. Well, I would also say too that like Tony Parker was like a key player that like sure. like right and so he's not necessarily a wing but like when you say wing I also think of like a shift to perimeter based play by like like 6 Par- 7 guys and under but but, but you're see, talking but more about yeah. like those 6 6 6 7 guys I'm being who more are so specific key. I'm yeah. being more specific like Tony Parker is not the type of guy that I'm talking about like a a, a guy who's got 
who's got size but can attack you from the perimeter explosively. Yeah. Right. So LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade. Yeah. Uh, and Dwayne Wade's like as small as you get, I think, with the type of player that I'm talking about. But uh, Kevin Durant, um, Kawhi, these are the guys who actually like win the NBA title. You, yeah. You you had one year of the Steph uh, Clay Warriors, and yeah. you have to. They had to be like the greatest shooting combo of all time to do it. Yeah, know? and but also too, their wing, their wing play. Oh, it was fantastic. Was yes. fantastic, but it was not the level in which you're talking about. This is offensively. I would argue that the reason, one of the key reasons why that Warriors team was successful as they was, is they had the best defense in the league, mm-hmm. and it was centered around a bunch of. 6'6 six, six through 6'8 six, guys sure. who were switchable on defense, Draymond right? Iggy, Draymond, Clay, Iguodala, even Livingston, Livingston mm-hmm. right? Clay sure. Thompson, and on down the line. And so it may not have been this idea of, oh, we've got all of these offensive wings who will attack you explosively from the perimeter, inside out, do everything that 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 way it was oh we have the horses to contain your guys right who are supposed to do that and then we're going to run a nifty style of offense that 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 emphasizes shooting and passing and cutting right to, right to sort of expose you because you can't defend us the same way we can defend you when everyone on the court is under 610 that's absolutely the case and so i would say that the Jordan's and, and the Bulls and the second episode was on Pippen. I would say that the that how long that they exposed a fundamental truth about basketball and how basketball works that was previously misunderstood. Because they did this even before the change in the illegal defense rules, which came three years after their last title. That dominant two-way wings are the most precious commodity in the NBA. And like Scotty Pippen, dude, like Scotty was, I I was glad to see him get a a little bit of love. I would love to see them, uh, you know, spend a little more time on him, but they're going to do a bunch on Scotty Pippen. I hope so. They're just going, going to, he was so good and he Mm -hmm. was so important. Yeah. And there was honestly like pound, pound for pound, probably the most destructive defensive player I've, I've ever seen. He was, yeah. He was just a destructive defensive mm-hmm. player. Like there, there really is a great word. for 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 as much as we talked about Michael Jordan sort of offensively at in the first part of of this pod. Um, there's got to be a supercut out there on on YouTube of Scottie Pippen's just yeah. defensive dominance and and all the ways that he would impact a game yeah. defensively. Um, and, and just his ability to literally guard like one through four, like seamlessly. Mm -hmm. Right. And and he wasn't a guy you were going to stick on centers because during his, his, his era, like centers really were seven foot, seven foot one, 285, 300 Mm -hmm. pounds, right? Big, big guys. Yeah. Big burly dudes who were going to really put your butt in the basket. Right. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. And so, but in today's league. Right. Pippen in today's NBA would be unbelievable, man. Like just that that all around skill set is really, and, and then spacing, putting you know shooters five out sets. Like how are you going to stay in front of Pippen with that type of strength? You know, like the your big guys are too slow and your smaller guys are are not strong enough. You know, and he's got the handles to exploit that. He would have been a hell of fun to see in in five out type spacing. You know, no, he was just he was just an amazing player. Um, t- amazing two-way player, um, a player who whose offensive game probably never really gets the amount of love that it does get. But that's just because like he was such a great defensive player that that that's how I always remember him. Mm-hmm. But but he was just a multifaceted offensive player. Um, just just an amazing talent I, yeah. like like he was Let, one of the guys that that i would say um most deserves props 
for how good that team team was. Michael Jordan will always be Michael Jordan. Of course. He will always be some guy who sort of lives in the upper corners of every graph that you try to design, right? Like like right. there's like a line graph and there's Michael Jordan way up there like like oh, that guy's super important. Ob- well obviously, but 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 Pippen man, just mm-hmm. just an amazing player. Yeah. Now, let's get back to Jordan with with Kobe and just like that influence. Yeah. So you're talking about how Kobe was starting to hear that resentment or or hear those those complaints about his game, right? And here's the criticisms of he's just this individual gunner. Kind of the, the whole paradigm that we're talking about is really in a lot of ways how the Boston Celtics and the people who follow them see basketball versus how Laker fans see basketball. I think there's a lot of like that collectivism versus individualism and how much value you place on each. Um, And so, yeah, Kobe saw, received a lot of those criticisms. Um, What in, in your remembrance of Kobe and of those years before he was able to prove that he could do it without Shaq, um, what, what do you remember about Kobe in this respect? Oh, you, you, you know, he was just so good that it was it was interesting to me the 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 dichotomy right of of when your talent gets to such a high level but your team is not as good and how that impacts the view from the outside world right and it's funny because there are some pretty smart people that would tell you that Kobe might not have ever been the best player in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like there are there are reasonable arguments to be made that that's the case, mm-hmm. right? Um, like, and and we don't have to map it out, but it's just like he he came into the league and Michael Jordan was still there very shortly after that. I, I, I disagree with you on this, by the way. I, no, I just no, want to no, be on I'm the not, record, but yes. I, like, I'm not arguing the point like I believe it. I'm arguing the point from the standpoint of, like, people who do believe it, this is how they would argue, argue it. Right? Uh, okay, okay. N- no, because Go I, ahead. Actually think, I actually think <laughs> during that period between... 2005 and 2010 Kobe probably was the best player in the league like like if, for at least if, a few of those years yes. like like if like if I was holding a player draft during that period I would say like he would be my number one pick I know that LeBron is like right there yeah I know Le- that. LeBron caught him at some point right it just that like for a few years I, Kobe Brown was the best player in the NBA for for a couple of years at least yeah and well Look, yeah. I always point back to the 2008 Olympics mm-hmm. when it was sort of when when that game hung in the balance, it was Kobe Bryant who everyone turned to mm-hmm. and said, you're going... And not only did they turn to him, they, they did it because he also asserted himself as right. the guy who knew, who right. knew... Well, and everybody fell. Everybody fell in line behind him. Yes, right. And, like and they understood the pecking order at the time. That's that's a great example of like those guys, the best in the world, who know more about this than we ever do. They knew who the top dog in the world was at the time. Look, the league's best players were on that team, mm-hmm. all of them, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And they all turned to Kobe, and Kobe was right there already, just like, oh yeah, I'm already here. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you turn and you didn't have to look for me. I'm standing right here with you. I'm I'm already assuming this role. Right? right. And everything fell into place because everyone understood what the truth was in mm-hmm. that specific moment. And that's why I don't agree with the assertion that he was not the best player in in the league. One of the things that I thought of when you mentioned earlier that I wish Kobe would have had a championship like level team around him during that 05 to 07 period. One one of the reasons why I want that is not just because I'm a Laker fan and that would have been great, but no. because I honestly think it would have bumped up the narrative that he actually was the best player in 
the league. It's hard to claim that status when you're not the one who is competing for championships, when you're not the right. one who's, that's, who's right. winning. And that's the that's the folly of individual talent in a team sport, right? Like, right. Like, yeah, we... That team was bad, man. Like, it was Kwame and Chris Mim and Smush Parker. Like, those guys, they had their best years during that time. But that's kind of the point, right? Is, like, Smush Parker, for example, was a fringe NBA player and then the starting point guard for the Lakers for two years and then a fringe NBA player. I mean, the reality was that he was a fringe NBA player all along and should have never been the starting point guard of the Lakers in the first place, right? I, I, I will always wonder what... 05 to 07 Kobe would have been on like a good team like Jordan left after the 93 title they replaced him with a dude named Pete Myers oh good old Pete Myers yes and the Bulls won 55 games that year right yeah now were they a title team no but they were damn good like they they were (laughs) you take you take Kobe off of those teams or the teams that LeBron has been taken off of those teams don't win 55 games without them yeah. Right. So the, the those Bulls teams were, and I'm I'm curious to see where this documentary goes from here because yes, it's Michael freaking Jordan. Right. I I've just always felt like that that Bulls team was really. I guess the best comparison I would say is, what if you added LeBron to the Denver Nuggets, right? Yeah. Like the Nuggets are probably not going to win a title this year or in a normal type type circumstance they're they have very lose in the second round maybe conference finals type of talent which is what those bulls teams without jordan were well you had lebron to that and then like yeah that team's messing some teams up right so i i've I'll always wonder uh in kobe's instance just what just a little a little better roster because we traded for a second all-star power had made one all-star game game by the time he joined the Lakers. As soon as we got that guy, they made it to the freaking finals. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. This is a sore spot as is evidenced by my rambling about it. What, uh, what do you remember from those years? You talking about like the Oh five to Oh seven years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just that it's sort of, this is the point I was trying to make earlier when I was saying that like Kobe never had those early Bulls Jordan years, right? Mm-hmm. Like he 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 never just sort of had that freedom to go do whatever the hell he oh, wanted, and, right? And, right, and and just put on a show, right? Mm-hmm. And this was this was his show, right? It's it's like Co- when Kobe got drafted, he got drafted into graduate school. Mm-hmm. Yes, right? that's great. Yes, right. And then when and and then Phil Jackson came. And then he did his doctorate, mm-hmm. right? And then everyone left, and Kobe said, "You know what? I'm gonna I'm go a new live college. my like like I'm gonna go get my BA now. I'm gonna go live in the dorms. I'm gonna this. drink beer every day. I'm gonna smoke some weed. I'm gonna do whatever I want. I'm gonna have my fun. I'm gonna oversleep, right? Uh-huh. Like this is the comp that I'm making because." I think because, that's a little. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, there was no point where Kobe was like slacking. Right? No, no, no. Like, I'm saying though that like he basically had all the room in the world to just do whatever the hell he wanted. And, sure. And what shined through during those years was just the supreme talent that sure. he had and the ability that he had to say, "Oh, no constraints. I can do whatever I want out out on the court." Like. Sure, like I can outscore a team by myself in three quarters. I can score eighty-one points, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like that's not in that same window of time, but, but it was. That's how good he was, and this idea of of just him being able to go out on the basketball court and and sort of be that player that gets all of that out of his system, right? And and so one of the great things about, or I, it's not great, one of the most interesting things about Kobe's career is that it's sort of like Pulp Fiction in that it's out of place, right? Like, huh. like it's that, not... It's in, not in order, yeah. Yeah, it's not in sequence. I love this, yes. Like, like most players 
of of his talent level. They go to a bad team. They they rack up a bunch of stats. Mm-hmm. You, Number you know, one option from the beginning. Yes, they are bad for for a few years. So they draft high again. They add more talent, and then and during this time they continue to just get better and better and better. And mm-hmm. then all of that talent starts to coalesce. They start to become a playoff team, and then they start to make noise in the playoffs. And then they go up a rung, and now they're contenders. And then hopefully all of that pays off with a championship, like the most, um, like the Oklahoma City Thunder that that did not beat LeBron's Heat in the finals are are a great example of this. Obviously, Steph's Warriors are also a great example of this, and, and they actually cinched the deal and, and went on to win a, a, like a championship. Kobe's career, like I said, is not that. He got drafted, first of all, in like the late lottery, or it may not have even been the lottery at that point based off of how many teams were in the league. He went 13th. The lottery may have been cut off at 12 that year. I can't quite remember. Um, But he got drafted to a good team. He didn't even start. He didn't even start his first two two years in the league. He then had to sort of build his way up to becoming a star star starter. And then suddenly they're in the finals. Mm -hmm. And then they win a three-peat. And then they have playoff heartbreak. Right, and then they go back to the finals, and then they lose in the finals, and then, and then he goes to a team, and then he plays for a team that's bad and mm-hmm. stinks, and mm-hmm. he is the number one option for a bad team, right? Mm-hmm. And then they go and draft a lottery player, and then that guy develops into a pretty good talent in Andrew Bynum, and then they go back to the finals, and it's just like, like what order is this? This is yeah. all like weird. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. Like, like this is not how a typical timeline of an NBA player of, of his talent level and how it looks like, like the best example is a guy like LeBron or Kevin mm-hmm. Durant or any other number of these guys. Right. Like, but the Lakers have seemingly drafted a bunch of these guys or not a bunch of them, but like Magic Johnson was the same same way, right? Like he got drafted to a championship team. Like mm-hmm. he won a title his rookie year and was finals MVP. And that's all he knew mm-hmm. his entire career was playing in the highest stakes games for his entire career. Mm-hmm. A- and that is so abnormal. And what Kobe experienced is equally abnormal. It's just like, this isn't how it's supposed to work. It's just not. It's, it's part of the like, Kobe, you know, even without his before his passing was my favorite athlete because uh for many many reasons it's a it, it's a great story and there's a lot of different angles to Kobe Bryant that I I've always really enjoyed and have always really been influential on my life. So, um this was really fun, man. I loved that I loved that uh explanation of the the pulp fiction and the the out of orderness of of Kobe's career. Um uh, yeah, we're, we're, we'll get back to the wire rewatch. There's going to be some nights. This is one of those nights where it was like, yeah, I kind of want to talk about the Jordan documentary. And so we did. No, like, uh, let's talk basketball. Like, it's like, good, I mean, man. It feels good, man. It, like, it was just yeah. great to watch just stuff that we lived through, too, right? Like, mm-hmm. I know for some fans, and this is how we opened the pod. And so I think it's good to, to close it this, this, this way, too is some fans never got to see this stuff live like you and i did Mm -hmm. and it was fantastic to watch live like i got goosebumps when they played that bulls intro during the scene Uh when they were about to go out to get their championship rings Uh right like like i remember that because yeah because the NBA's production during those years used to include all that oh, pregame so stuff, good. man. The NBA on NBC. Like, I would argue that I'm not a very nostalgic guy in terms of, like, things were better back in my... that The production and presentation of national NBA TV games was way better back then. Everything felt like an event. And like you said, there's rec- like the song that's that Alan Parsons project song. I can't remember the name of it, but the, the song that, and they'd always yeah. play it, you know, bulls are up one or bulls are down one with 
12 seconds left sideline out of bounds you know bulls yeah. have the ball coming in from the timeout they played that like it was just like oh it's drama like it's is going down and anyway i love the the production of, of those old uh those old presentations but sorry continue no i was just saying that like we lived through this and and it's just a great peek into our past yeah. as basketball fans but also with with new anecdotes and and new voices talking about these storylines that were sort of present at that time, but were not covered in the same way because the media monster was not the same back then. Mm -hmm. And so it'll be super interesting to see where this documentary goes from a bunch of different perspectives, from the personalities and the drama and all of that. But the thing I took away from today's two episodes was, was more just like, ah, like that, that comfort and soothing warmth of basketball, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And like, we've missed it. And really it's have. great to, it, it was great to relive some of that. And it was great to talk about some of that today, again, like on the pod. So. Hell yeah, man. Let's, uh, if, if we so feel it, let's, uh, let's do this again sometime. This, sure. was lo- this was a lot of fun. We'll get back to the wire rewatch on the next show. Until then, you've been listening to Laker Fumer Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Gamble in and out. The ball is tipped, and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot locked down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietrus jogging back. Didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Miss it! Brian, yes, and that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me?